We have a number of scripture passages from the New Testament this evening. I may reference uh, the Old Testament to show that there is application here to the government of the church and the officers or officials uh, of the church that God instituted. But our first um, New Testament scripture passage is 1 Timothy chapter 3 and also chapter 5, verse 17 through 22. Pew Bible, page 1847. Here now the reading of God's holy, inspired, and infallible word. Here is a trustworthy saying. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. Now the overseer must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders, so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Deacons, likewise, are to be men and worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, their wives are to be women worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be the husband of but one wife and must manage his children and his household well. Those who have served well, well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. Although I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great. He appeared in a body, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. Turning now to chapter 5, verse 17 through 22 of First Timothy. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, do not muzzle the ox while it treads out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. Those who sin are to be rebuked publicly so that others may take warning. I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and to do not, nothing out of favoritism. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands and do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Turning now to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1-4. through 4. There we read these instructions from Peter. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, 
not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Turning lastly to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. That's the reading of God's holy word. May he bless it to the hands, hearts, and minds of his people. We're also going to be looking at Article 30 and Article 31 in the Belgic Confession. It can be found on the back of your green Psalter hymnals on page 84. There we read Article 30, the government of the church and its offices. We believe that this true church must be governed by that spiritual polity which our Lord has taught us in his word. Namely, that there must be ministers or pastors to preach the word of God and to administer the sacraments. Also elders and deacons who, together with the pastors, form the council of the church. That by these means the true religion may be preserved, the true doctrine everywhere propagated, Likewise, transgressors punished and restrained by spiritual means. Also, that the poor and distressed may be relieved and comforted according to their necessities. By these means, everything will be carried on in the church with good order and decency when faithful men are chosen according to the rule prescribed by St. Paul in his epistle to Timothy. Article 31. We believe that the ministers of God's word, the elders and the deacons, ought to be chosen to their respective offices by a lawful election by the church with calling upon the name of the Lord, and in that order which the word of God teaches. Therefore, everyone must take heed not to intrude himself by improper means, but is bound to wait till it shall place God to call him, or shall please God to call him, that he may have testimony of his calling and be certain and assured that it is of the Lord. As for ministers of God's word, they have equally the same power and authority wheresoever they are, as they are all ministers of Christ, the only universal bishop and the only head of the church." Moreover, in order that this holy ordinance of God may not be violated or slighted, we say that everyone ought to esteem the ministers of God's word and the elders of the church very highly for their work's sake and be at peace with them without murmuring strife or contention as much as possible. And that is the teaching of our confession. Um, As I was preparing for the sermon tonight and thinking about what could come across as sort of a a very dry couple of articles about the way that the church should be structured and who are the officers of the church. I, I began to think about the way that the church is referred to in the Bible to a number of different terminologies the bride of Christ. Uh, but one that I think was particularly intuitive to our discussion tonight is that it's often called the body of Christ. Now, it's been some time since I took a biology class, but um, I will say that 
the body is a very complex thing. It's organized. It has structure. It has a variety of systems. I mean, it's still, if you really think about it, 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 it can really blow your mind that, that if you cut yourself, your body heals itself. You know, if you cut yourself on accident. Um, if you break a bone, it can mend itself. Heal itself. Sometimes it needs to be set, but, you know. Um, the body is so complex, it's so structured, it's so organized that if one thing stops working the way that it's supposed to, you can have complications, you can have issues, you can have all kinds of problems. And if you take this analogy and you apply it to what we're talking about tonight, then it makes sense then, doesn't it? That the body of Christ, Christ has given structure, he's given government to it. He's given offices to it. Right? Because if it's the body of Christ, it's something that is not meant to be disorganized, not meant to be disjunctured, not meant to be uh, broken. It's something that's meant to be um, unified. It's something that's meant to have structure and organization to it. And that's what we're talking about tonight. We're talking about the organization and the structure of the church and its importance. So, just as a body has structure, so does the church. which is the body of Christ. We have two points tonight that basically correlate with our articles. One point for each article. The government. And I know that's a bad word right now, okay? I'm talking about the government of the church, though, okay? And the officers, or the offices. I'm going to put offices so we don't have any confusion there. The government and the offices of the church. Uh, one of the things that I want to um, clarify is uh, a lot of people might ask, how do we get to uh, the structure or the government of the church that we have now from what was the case in the Old Testament? Well, what you need to understand about the Old Testament offices prophet, priest, king is that they're all fulfilled in Christ. So Christ is the prophet. We need no more prophets. I know you might find a lot of people out there who say they are prophets. That office is over. Christ is the final prophet, okay? There might be a lot of people out there who call themselves priests. Christ is the final priest, the everlasting, forever living high priest. We need no more priests. There might be a lot of people out there who call themselves kings or presidents. 
Christ is the King of kings, Lord of lords. There are no kings above him. He is the final king and the everlasting king. So these offices have been fulfilled in Christ. And so what we have happening in the New Testament is a transformation or a switch or a what you would call an extension of, of, uh, of the church structure that fits um, the shepherd model, which is still in the Old Testament something that's used for leaders and guiders. And Christ brings that to, to, to the fruition when he speaks to his disciples and he tells his disciples about what kind of leadership this church that he is uh, head of is going to have, okay? So the government of the church. Um, the first thing that Article 30 begins with is to discuss what kind of office bearers there must be, okay? We believe that this true church, the true church that was spoken of in Article 29, the marks of the true church, uh, is governed by a spiritual polity. See, this is important. Because the power that the church has is a spiritual power. Uh, the, the authority of the officers in the church is a spiritual authority. Well, what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is if at a church somebody has to ask their elders whether they can have this job or that job, that's kind of weird. Now, I think it's fine for elders to give advice or counsel about what they think might be the best job, but the matters in which the elders have authority are spiritual matters. Right? It's a spiritual polity. The government of the church is the sword of the spirit. The government of the magistrate is the sword. There's a difference. Uh, which our Lord has taught us in his word, namely, that there must be ministers. To preach the word of God and administer the sacraments, elders, deacons. First Timothy 3, Paul is instructing Timothy how to set up the church, how to give the church structure. He's telling them what, what he did. Paul would go around from place to place on his mission trips, and he would set up churches. And what he would do is he would... He would uh, place elders in these churches before, uh, before he left. Um, and that's what, that's what he does in 1 Timothy 3. He tells them what are the requirements, what are the um, requirements to, to find elders. Elders should be like this. Deacons should be like this. Uh, the, the institution of elders is what happens, uh, it, it sort of follows the same pattern of, of, of Jesus with his apostles, right? But the apostleship is a special office because the apostleship is someone who was an eyewitness of Jesus Christ. And so the work that the apostles were doing, the preaching and the praying, 
that we see in Acts chapter 5. That's something that the apostles wanted to be dedicated to. And so what happened when there became this issue amongst the church in Jerusalem that these certain people weren't being fed because they were um, Greek, you know? Well, what did they say? We need, to, we need to place people in charge of this who can take care of this matter, um, this matter of, of mercy and uh, mercy needs, of feeding, of, of uh, way uh, of, of, of setting tables, so that we can focus on the work of, of praying, of the ministry of the word, of preaching, of sharing the gospel, and so that the office of deacon was instituted. And that makes sense because the word deacon means servant. For many years at Cottage Grove, the deacons have always done a dinner. For widows and widowers. And really that is hearkening back to what that first institution of deacon was. To care for the widows and the widowers in the church of Jerusalem. To make sure that they received the food that they needed. Okay? And together with the pastors, the minister, the elders, and the deacons create the council. And that's when the pastor, the elders, the deacons gather together in one body, just like we did this morning, to deal with the businesses of the church. And, and this is important because a lot of times the spiritual matters that the elders are in charge of overlap with the material matters that the deacons are dealing with. So-and-so needs help paying for this bill. Um, we need to be praying for them. You know, the, they interlock and that's good that uh, the council creates communication like that. Uh, the tasks of these officers, preservation of true religion, true doctrine, And that the poor and distressed will be cared for. So when the Belgian Confession says that by these means the true religion may be preserved, true doctrine everywhere propagated, transgressors punished and restrained by spiritual means, spiritual means um, is important there. Also that the poor in distress may be relieved and comforted according to their necessities. Um, Christ gave his church the body structure. He gifted the church, the body, these ministers, these elders, these deacons, so that true religion could be kept. True religion is not simply a, a number of factual statements that one person believes. True religion is living out those factual statements. That's why James says what does true religion consist of? Caring for the widows and the orphans. Why is that? Because if one believes that you were the widow, you were the orphan, and God adopted you through Jesus Christ, his son, then you want to care for those who are uh, poor and distressed. Uh, preservation of true doctrine. When Paul met with the Ephesian elders in Acts, he warned them. He said, wolves are going to come into this church. You must protect 
your sheep. You must watch after them. You must keep them from believing in these false teachings, these lies. And so uh, the officers of the church are put here to make sure that what is taught concerning God's word and the faith aligns with Scripture. Um, the, uh, um, the other statement has to do with church discipline. Likewise, transgressors punish and restrain by spiritual means. Punish and restrain by spiritual means. What does that mean? Someone might read that and say, well, what do they do at that church? Take sinners out behind the, 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 the shed and, and beat them because they sinned? No, spiritual means means what do you do when somebody stumbles and, wouldn't, and, and falls, your brother and sister in Christ? You come to them and you say, hey, you look like you're struggling with this. How can I be there for you? How can I pray with you? Hey, you're going down a bad path. We have to warn you. We have to, to, to tell you that this is, um, this is going in a, a path of destruction. Hey, uh, we're going to have an intervention here. We need to, 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 to come to you and, and to plead with you about this matter. Um, hey, spiritual means, hey, you are no longer allowed to come to the Lord's table. This is to tell you, warn you, that, that the, what you're doing right now is not good. It's not healthy. Okay, hey, uh, at this point, we are um, we are uh, ex- excommunicating you from the church and telling everyone that they should treat you as a Gentile or a tax collector, which means that they should preach the gospel to you because we have very serious um, concerns that whether or not you're even saved. Those are spiritual means. You're not restraining anybody physically. You're not doing anything like that. You're, you're simply using the means that Christ has instituted to seek to turn them away from their sin and back to the Lord and find grace and mercy in Him, okay? Um, maybe relieved, comforted. And, and uh, the poor, th- this is a diaconal work, caring for the poor, the distressed, the relieve, uh, relieving those in, in need of comfort um, according to the necessities. Um, it's really interesting if you go and you study uh, uh, the city of, of Geneva and and. Uh, the work of John Calvin and his church, a lot of the, the deacons there uh, did, did a lot of that kind of mercy ministry work there in that uh, community. They were the ones who made sure that orphans found homes. They were the ones that made sure widows were provided for and cared for. They were the ones that cared for the elderly. They were the ones that provided for, for um, uh, a variety of different needs. And in a lot of ways, I'm going to be honest with you, in a lot of ways... Um, our society and our culture's government has taken over those measures that the church was meant to do, diaconally, provide for the poor, um, provide food for people who can't afford it, um, care for the widow, care for the orphan. And it makes things more complicated because we'll say, well, I mean, we don't have to do that anymore. The government does that, and I pay taxes to that. So, I mean, I'm sort of, I'm putting into that pool. Um, but what is very interesting to me about the diaconal aspect of ministry is that when you have a person who comes to you and who says, I know you're hungry, We have come as the hands and feet of Christ to pray for you, to provide for you, to be incarnational for you. 
I would say that's a whole lot meaningful, more meaningful than getting money dumped onto a card that you can take to the grocery store to get groceries that you need. Just saying. Christ instituted it this way for a reason. By these means, everything will be carried on in the church with good and order and decency when faithful men are chosen according to the rule prescribed by St. Paul in his epistle to Timothy. Faithful men chosen according to what 1 Timothy chapter 3 says. Um, those are the requirements that we read there. 1 Timothy chapter 5 talks more about um, the elder who fits in the category of one who works uh, as a preacher and a teacher full time. It says that they're worthy of double honor. It says they're worthy to be paid for their work so that they can focus solely on that. So if anybody need any justification for my salary, this is my one chance a year to point out this scripture passage and to say there's biblical warrant here, okay? Um, and don't worry, I'm excited about getting to that Hebrews 13 one too as well. We'll get there. Um, so they have to meet these requirements of being, um, being faithful, being above reproach, being the wife or being the husband of one wife, um, being not lovers of money, not quarrelsome, gentle, uh, managing their own households well. These are all things uh, that fit into a requirement of someone who's being called to this office. Okay. Now, finally. We're going to talk a little bit more about the officers, particularly how exactly they get elected, that kind of stuff. I will tell you that some of the way that we do things at our particular church has more to do with wisdom than it does actually what the Bible says. I'm not going to make you mad by saying that. But what I'm going to tell you is that some churches have varying structures. Uh, some churches have um, elders, but not deacons. I think they should have deacons. Some churches have, um, they don't have council meetings like we have, where the deacons and the elders and the pastor all gather together. Uh, the elders uh, deal with uh, stuff mainly on their own. Some churches have deacons that are really function like elders. And so this is what um, uh, we have here at our church when it comes to pastors, elders, deacons coming together as the council. Um, these are things that we, we can't really say are specifically, explicitly said in the Scripture, but I think it's wise. I think it's a wise way to structure a church. And I think there is room for that uh, to go on, to do things uh, to take what we do know, that there are supposed to be pastors, there are supposed to be elders, there are supposed to be deacons, and, and, and then do it in a way that's wise and structured, okay? Um, the ministers, the elders, and the deacons, the officers of the church. Um, we believe that the ministers of God's word, the elders and the deacons, ought to be chosen by their respective offices by a lawful election. of the church. Here we are using all these trigger words, government, lawful elections. I didn't mean to do this, guys. I'm sorry. 
Um, a lawful election, calling upon the name of the Lord and in that order which the word of God teaches. So a lawful election is, um, can be done a number of ways. Churches do it a number of different ways. Here at our church, yeah, here at our church, uh, there are a number of churches who, who cast lots. Um, and they take that from Acts chapter 1, where they cast lots for the, the apostle. Uh, at our church here, we put names forward. People decide whether they will let their names stand. Those names get put before the congregation at the congregational meeting, and those uh, names are voted on. That's how we do it here uh, at our church. But uh, like Will said, a number of churches, uh, in order to avoid um, what is often perceived as favoritism, will put the names that allow themselves to stand um, in a hat and draw them out so that people aren't chosen over and over again in a way that um, could seem like favoritism. And so, uh, the, a lawful election has to occur for these uh, officers to be put uh, in their position, to be um, placed in these positions. First uh, Peter chapter 5 talks about the way that elders are meant to uh, consider their calling. And that's important because in Article 31, uh, it speaks of this. Uh, it says, therefore, everyone must, not take, uh, must take heed not to intrude himself by improper means, but is bound to wait till it shall please God to call him, that he may have testimony of his calling and be certain and assured that it is of the Lord. Um, so this has to do with uh, two things here. Internal and external calling. When the Belgian Confession says... Someone uh, who uh, must not take heed to intrude, not to intrude himself by improper means. What we mean by that is that it would all be awfully strange if, if, if somebody came to you and said, I want to be an elder. And, and said, can I put my name down? That would be a, a bit strange. You might appreciate their enthusiasm and their willingness to serve. But the way that officers often are brought up in the church is that they begin to feel an internal calling that, that the Lord could use them in that fashion. Um, and then they wait patiently for that external call. That means that people in the church begin to see those qualities and attributes in that person. And then secondly, their name is brought up. Do you think that we should ask so-and-so if they'd be willing? And that internal calling that they felt, which they remained quiet and pondering and considering is validated by the external calling of the church. And so when you have that internal call, that feeling that you are supposed to be doing this, and that external call together, um, then you know that this is what the Lord has called you to. So don't intrude yourself by improper means, but wait till it shall please God to call him, that he may have testimony of his calling and be certain and assured that it is of the Lord. First Peter chapter 5 speaks of this. The elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you're willing. There's a willingness there, right? Um, 
as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Um, Paul talks about this in 1 Timothy 3. I often say that the very first and most important uh, requirement or attribute of an elder is that he has set his heart on being an overseer. He desires to be an elder. So the first requirement, if you're wanting to be an elder, is that you should want to be an elder. You should desire. That God has placed that desire in you, right? Um, Paul says um, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, a couple of things about this. It says, um, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands. Do not uh, share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. That means don't be so quick uh, to appoint someone. Pray about this. Think about this. Consider this. Um, he talks about uh, that, that a, an elder must not be a recent convert or may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. Um, so often it should be somebody who is, who is not uh, new to the faith. Someone who hasn't intruded in themselves by improper means. And, and then the second thing that the Belgian Confession talk, talks about is the way that uh, office bearers are to be honored. And there's two. They're to be honored by fellow office bearers. by the congregation. Belgic Confession continues on in Article 31. As for the ministers of God's word, they have equally the same power and authority wherever they are, as they are all ministers of Christ, the only universal bishop and the only head of the church. And so, what this is saying is that all the office bearers, elders, ministers, deacons, uh, they're to honor each other and one another. And they're to see um, that there is equity amongst them. Um, and that's part of the reason why I think the, the council is something that's wise is that everyone sees the importance of, of each function um, and, and understands their place and their position. And they benefit and, and help each other. And uh, they seek to together lead the congregation uh, spiritually and to consider and to pray and to be there for them in all their uh, many challenges. And, and so a minister is not meant to be like uh, a CEO of a company. And that's the kind of structure we often see in today's evangelical churches is sort of taking the business mindset and sort of dumping it on the church. Uh, the pastor's the CEO. Um, the elders are his underlings. I don't know how to spell underlings. I'm going to go like that. Um, the deacons are just the... Uh, 
errand boys. Yeah, that, that, that's the structure, right? It's a top-down structure. Um, that's not what the church is supposed to be like. And so what you can see sort of here is minister, elders, deacons. It's a cyclical equity amongst them, right? And that's important too because the CEO is Christ, not us. It's Christ. And so there's supposed to be uh, an honoring amongst fellow office bearers, right? And uh, here's the final one. It's, there's supposed to be honor for these office bearers from the congregation. This is something that has explicit instruction from God's word. Hebrews chapter 13 says, Obey your leaders, submit to their authority. Now, that seems like a very bad word in our society, in our day and age. Obey, submit. Um, they're the, kind of, the same kind of words um, that get passages like Ephesians 5 that talk about wives, submit to your husbands. Um, and, uh, and us Christians are in a lot of trouble when it comes to those kinds of things. But obey and submit has to do with um, their spiritual authority. Right? If your elders come to you and they say to you, um, well, we heard you're working at the gas station down the road and you have to quit your job. You can tell them why. There's not a good reason why elders should be telling you to quit your job unless you're working at a place that's inappropriate or sinful or wrong, okay? Or making money doing things that you shouldn't uh, be making money doing. Their authority that, that, that Hebrews chapter 13 is calling you to submit to is a spiritual authority. Submit to them in matters of spiritual matters, of care for your soul, of concerns for your prayer life, uh, of concerns for the way that you are raising your family in the Lord and how they can help you and be of benefit to you, uh, of concerns for uh, gathering the elders to come and to anoint you and to pray for you when you're sick, of those kinds of things of concerns about what sort of teaching that you're hearing from this person or that person or, or concerns about questions of the faith and doubts of the faith. The spiritual matters are the way you're meant to obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Now those are weighty words. Those are words that I think about often. And the reason why Hebrews chapter 13 tells you, the congregation, to obey your leaders, submit to their authority, because they're ones who watch over your souls, who have to give an account for you on the day of judgment, is so that their work will be a joy. Not a burden. 
Because if their joy was, or if their work was a burden, if it was difficult, if it was frustrating, that would not be of benefit to you. That would not be of advantage to you, the congregation. Simply, a, a, a very simple principle, okay? When someone loves their job, they do better work. It's true, right? When someone enjoys what they're doing, they do better work. If you've got an employee who comes and he's just dragging his feet to work every day, he doesn't really want to be there, he'd rather be doing something else, his dad told him he had to get this job, whatever it may be, they're not going to be a good worker. But if they love doing their job because of the people they work with, they will do a better job. Um, That's not some sort of vague threat to you. That if you all don't listen to us and obey our authority and submit to us, that um, I won't do a good job or something like that. (laughs) Um, It's just to say that the Belgic Confession says, in order that this holy ordinance of God may not be violated or slighted, we say that everyone ought to esteem the ministers of God's word, the elders of the church, and I'd add the deacons, very highly for their work's sake. Be at peace with them without murmuring, strife, or contention as much as possible um, so they may do their work. Uh, The human body has structure. It's organized. And so just as a body has structure, so does the church, which is the body of Christ. Christ did not simply come and save us and redeem us and then leave us to be this disorganized, chaotic mess of a bunch of people who can't be cared for spiritually and cared for with our physical needs and mercy needs, Christ in his love, in his mercy, in his grace, through the power of the Holy Spirit, gave us the church, the body of Christ, with structure, with government that must be done according to the word of God, with officers, ministers, elders, and deacons, who watch over you, who care for you, who pray for you. Christ did this. And that's what I want to end with. I want to end with a passage from Ephesians chapter 4 that says this. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7 and following. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It is he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ, From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, 
grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Amen. Just as a body has structure, so does the church, which is Christ's body. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us, through Jesus Christ, your Son, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, a church. A church that has government, structure. A church that has officers, ministers, elders, and deacons, which you call and bring and provide. We pray, Lord, that the officers of this church would serve you faithfully uh, as servants. Uh, We pray, Heavenly Father, uh, that you would continue to watch over us in Jesus Christ, to care for us spiritually, provide for our physical needs when we are in need through the elders and through the deacons. And we give you thanks, Lord, that it is here in this church that we grow in in our faith and our knowledge of you and await the day we will forever be worshiping you in the assembly of the saints, the communion of saints. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Will you stand and sing with me?